0: Right rug flooring. It's Wednesday, August 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive Podcast in Los Angeles, and this is reopening America. The COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the adoption of telemedicine and its role in the healthcare system by at least three years, some experts say. This increased use is also driving a slew of possible business deals. Some telehealth companies are getting ready for initial public offerings while others are exploring sales and acquisitions. Sarah Krauss, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, you know, a lot of people couldn't get to their regular doctor for checkups, things like that. They were worried, you know, you go out in public, you might catch coronavirus. And what it's really done was kind of fuel the rise of telemedicine. It was already around before the pandemic, but because of the shutdowns and all that, it kind of just made this rise exponentially. Some people have said that it's sped up the adoption of telehealth by about three years. And there's a bunch of companies right now that are going through the process of either doing an IPO, selling their company, because everybody wants a piece of this. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about how telemedicine is just really booming right now
4: when the pandemic hit, as you say, a lot of doctor's offices either shut down or severely reduced the number of appointments that they could do. Um, and some patients were afraid to go to the doctor because they were worried about the risk of becoming infected with COVID-19 if went to an appointment in a medical setting. So what that did is sort of drove both patients and doctors to connect online, either through video conferencing or in some cases, the phone. And that really lifted telemedicine as a concept, which prior to the pandemic hadn't really taken off in a big way. And that partly had to do with the fact that jurors didn't reimburse for telemedicine visits at the same level as they did in person. So there really wasn't a financial incentive to go that route if you didn't have to.
0: For the consumer, I mean, it really helps out for more routine things, some little urgent care things, management of chronic condition. I noted in the article, some people offer breastfeeding support. For some of these more routine things, it might even be more of a benefit to not want to go to the doctor's office at all. So in a lot of cases, that's what these telemedicine companies are doing. I mentioned, you know, some of them are going through the process of doing an initial public offering or being sold. Tell us some of the companies that have been doing pretty well throughout this?
4: So earlier this month, Teladoc, which is the largest of the sort of major telehealth platforms, agreed to an $18.5 billion deal to buy Livongo Health, which is a remote chronic care management company. That was the first sort of big deal in this space. Telehealth company Amwell or American Well, in recent months, explored a sale instead of going public, though on Monday, they filed a registration statement for an IPO and are moving towards that path. MD Live, which is another telehealth platform, is preparing for an IPO early next year and are talking to investors that tend to invest both in the private and public markets right now. And then Talkspace, which is the text message-based therapy company, that is seen by some companies as a potential target if a sort of generic telemedicine platform wanted to build out a behavioral health offering. So this flurry of deals is sort of some moving towards the private market, some diversifying the stable of care that they can offer. So there's a lot of activity right now because adoption is so high. And one thing, we haven't talked about is one of the major facilitators of this are regulatory changes that have happened during the pandemic. So, for example, I mentioned before that telehealth visits weren't reimbursed at the same level as in-person. That has now changed during the public health emergency. So there's sort of equal weight given to those visits, and that encourages more people to say, maybe we can do this visit remotely instead of in-person.
0: Yeah, the Trump administration actually stepped in and said that Medicare would cover some of these telemedicine visits during the pandemic at the same rate as in-person visits. So that definitely helps the incentive for everybody to try it out. But still, when we talk about these companies, you know, making big sales and IPOs and all that profitability, there is uh, neither Teladoc nor Amwell, some of the companies you mentioned have achieved profitability. So how does this factor into all of it?
4: Teladoc has said it is moving towards profitability. Um, you know, I think one of the big questions hanging over the industry in general is how permanent are these changes? The Trump administration has, you know, made some of them permanent, but it's unclear how long those reimbursement levels will remain the same, you know, and the other risk to this is the commoditization of the service. If electronic health record companies offer telehealth portals and the need for these separate telehealth platforms isn't fair, if usage declines, as people get back to What, you know, their sort of typical routine of actually going to see the doctor? Do they leave this behind? So there are some unanswered questions about the long term sort of stability and future of this industry. But most people who are either in the sector or bullish on it say, no, like the convenience of this and what the pandemic proved in terms of its use cases is not going away. And if anything, there are more ways in which connected devices could be brought into the mix, relationships with hospitals to remove some of the need to travel to a doctor's office, park your car, go inside, wait for the doctor, see the doctor leave, you know, all those sort of time-consuming aspects of seeing a medical professional, can this smooth that out? Can you have the follow-up appointment from your surgery this way? Or can you have an initial appointment, uh, you know, remotely as triage before you have to go to a doctor?
0: Do these platforms provide their own doctors or let's say, you know, I have my own personal doctor can they set something up through them? Or am I just doing a Zoom call with my own personal doctor? How does that part of it work?
4: It's a mix. So some of the regulatory changes that the pandemic has brought during the public health emergency is the main federal healthcare privacy law. You know, the Trump administration has said we're not going to enforce that if you want to do a visit over FaceTime or over platforms that weren't typically HIPAA compliant. You can now do that. It's unclear how long that will last. But there are other doctor's offices that have their own systems in place through their health record systems, you know, with which they can connect with patients. So yes, there is some of seeing your own doctor. There are also platforms like TeleDoc, you know, that has their own stable of doctors as well as doctors that act sort of as contractors who may be log in at the end of their day at their normal practice and are available to pick up patients in the waiting room who need 24-hour care and maybe can't connect directly with their doctor. So it's a fair mix. that sort of depends on the platform and the need of the patient in the moment. Sometimes for urgent care, you don't care if it's your doctor. You care that you're talking to a doctor.
0: Sarah Krause, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget that for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. June 30th, 2024.